It's a sign of the times that when reading the events of the Acts of the Apostles for the Feast of Pentecost, my attention was captured in the first sentence by that easily overlooked detail. They were all together in one place. They don't know how lucky they were, I thought to myself. Pentecost is a favourite day in the church calendar for many people and for many reasons. You can usually spot the enthusiasts by the red clothing they pull out just for the occasion, and a certain spring in their step and twinkle in the eye that says they're ready to celebrate the Spirit and her work. The imagery of Pentecost is terrific. Cyclonic winds rushing through the room where the disciples are, people's heads on fire speaking in tongues, the Spirit-filled Christians being mistaken for going a bit too hard on the old vino collapso, (laughs) and powerful words from the prophecy of Joel. It's the sort of thing which captures the imagination and is prime material for artists. Arguably, though, the way the story is constructed is quite deliberately to draw our attention away from the spectacular aspect of it as quickly as possible and focus rather on what the point of the coming of the Holy Spirit was, which is expanded on at least through the remainder of the second chapter as Peter unleashes his spirit-filled sermon to the people gathered. And I think alongside the spectacular events and the words that are spoken, it's worthwhile to note the joyous urgency in how Peter conveys the message that holds together the awfulness of the crucifixion, but also the wondrousness of the resurrection of Jesus. And there is also mention of awe, wonder, glad and generous hearts, praise of God, goodwill of the people, life-enhancing repentance and so forth. Read the whole of Peter's sermon here, and consider whether he is preaching in a way which is restrained and solemn, or exuberant and joyous. Pentecost is a miracle of communication. The different languages are a sign of that, but I'm mindful that the spoken word accounts for only a part of how we understand one another. The nonverbal, that is, uh, body language, tone and facial expression, accounts for the majority of our interactions. And while it's not explicitly stated in the text, I think it's a fair reading to say that underneath all the words and glitzy miracles, the undercurrent was one of barely constrained joy. Joy is vital to the faith and a great gift of the Spirit. A couple of qualifiers at this point, though. Joy is not the same as happiness, which is fleeting and momentary. Joy is more like a steady, hopeful optimism, which holds itself present throughout both happiness and sadness. Having joy 
does not mean that we are immune to sadness or exhaustion or being overwhelmed and stressed either. But joy is that warm pool which sustains us through all of those highs and lows. It's important to note this because I have heard some say, if you're a Christian, you will always be smiling because you will always be happy. Which is one extreme uh, that seems to think that Christians will never shed a tear or experience a normal range of emotions. And also, I've seen Christians which seem so weighed down that I wonder where the abundant life that Jesus promised shows through for them. Indeed, I once heard of a clergy person who used to instruct people uh, something to the effect of, once you pass through the gates of the church precinct on your way to church, you must stop smiling. Both approaches seem to have a bit of a warped view on joy and Christianity. But joy is absolutely central to what we are about. The good news that we share is actually a cause for joy and laughter. It is actually good news. And this is not a modern, innovative approach to the faith uh, reserved for outwardly charismatic church movements. Centuries ago, the medieval church found the ways of expressing joy. For example, on the 1st of January, there used to be a celebration called the Feast of Fools. And on that day, the clergy parodied the liturgy, dressed up as women and animals, and ran riot through the churches and made fun of their superiors. Also, there used to be a feature of Easter celebrations called in Latin, Risus Pascalis, which translates to Easter laughter. And in it, uh, preachers would basically tell jokes to get a laugh out of their listeners. And that was an important part of Easter celebrations. Those examples don't necessarily reflect the norm of the medieval approach to joy, but still they're there and they're good to take note of. In more recent history, one of the most striking and delightful descriptions of Easter that I've heard is by the poet Patrick Kavanagh, who described the resurrection as a laugh freed forever and forever. A laugh freed. Joy radiates, is attractive, is contagious, and is a sign of the work of the Holy Spirit. And ultimately, the work of the Holy Spirit is the director of the whole missional enterprise of the Christian church. Our mission consists of the things which the Spirit is doing in our world and in which we then also join in with. 
No doubt we will have plans and ideas of our own, but need to also beware that becoming a hindrance as it can result in that toxic idea that the work I do for the Lord depends mostly on me and my abilities. That is a falsehood and a burden that can sap joy and quench the spirit. I know it's a danger for me, and I know that I'm not alone in that particular fault and sin. But I wanted to reflect on joy in the spirit now because we are in one of the most privileged positions in the world with relation to COVID-19. As we are just about at the point of being able to regather in person in church as the virus is not running rampant in our local area. This is not to be taken for granted. Everyone will have experienced difficulties these past weeks and months. And that needs to be acknowledged and heard, and we will make space for grieving. But also, looking forward to gathering together again is an awesome and joyful thing even though we still will be exercising appropriate safety measures. When we do regather, I know there will be joy and laughter as we see each other face to face from about 1.5 metres distance and enter the place of worship which we connect to so deeply. I know the spirit will be flowing generously and abundantly, and that is something to rejoice in. The point is, one of the languages that the Spirit gives us the ability to speak is the language of joy. And I so look forward to us communicating that with one another soon. And not only for our own sake, important though that is, I heard of research out of Germany which tried to find commonalities between churches which were experiencing growth, even though they looked very different in how they did church. And an answer they found was that joy and laughter was a key part of their life together. That was the link. My prayer for us then is that we, as we, like those first disciples, are all together in one place again, and we gather round the Lord's word and table, that we may become so opened anew to the movement of the Spirit, that she may bless us with joy, that that may be the language which we have in common, whether spoken or unspoken. Easter was a laugh freed forever and ever. And the Spirit is the seal and sign of that reality continuing in our midst. But let it not be for our sake, but so that the mission which God has called us to in Christ may be made clearer to us, that we may reach out in loving service to our neighbours, and that the joy which we share in may be made complete. 
So may God stir up within you the gift of the Spirit, that you may confess Jesus Christ as Lord and proclaim the joy of the everlasting gospel wherever you may be. Amen.